Good evening. Welcome to this week's edition of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. As we move further into season two of the podcast, sports leagues planning returns from coronavirus delays, as well as social injustice and systemic racism continue to be the main themes among sports headlines. We'll start with Coach K's comments on the Black Lives Matter movement. Duke's Coach K calls Black Lives Matter a human rights statement, not a political one. In a passionate message in support of the Black Lives Matter movement, Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski said, it's time for America to address and solve systemic racism. Through a message released via Twitter on Friday afternoon, Krzyzewski said America had chosen the easier wrong for 400 years and denied the impact of racism. We see that, Krzyzewski said in the video. And what do we do when we see it? We turn the other way. We don't solve the problem. The problem will not be solved and no problem is solved unless you acknowledge the problem. Acknowledge it. If you acknowledge it, you have the duty to solve it. We as we as a country have the duty to solve this problem. Krzyzewski had previously released a statement expressing his anger and frustration after George Floyd was killed when a Minneapolis police officer kneeled on his neck for nearly eight minutes. On June 26, the five-time national champion coach said supporting African-Americans in this moment is a matter of humanity. Black Lives Matter. Say it. Can you say it? Black Lives Matter, Krzyzewski said at the start of the video. We should be saying it every day. It's not political. This is not a political statement. It's a human rights statement. It's a fairness statement. What do you make of Coach K's comments? I mean, it's good for, you know, a guy of his, you know, cachet to say something like that, you know, come out with a statement like that. Guys like him, Calipari, you know, are the two, you know, main guys that come to mind because like they admitted in their both their individual statements and I know Cal said it's very specifically, they made their clout off of the backs of black players. Like if black guys didn't choose to go to their schools, they wouldn't be who they are. Like the Anthony Davis, Jabari Parkers, Brandon Ingram, Carl Anthony Town, the list goes on. You could name guys off of both sides that, you know, are great players that chose to go to these schools because of the guys that they felt that they were. And the guys that the parents felt that they were. So I think that it just further validates that point by him speaking out about that. And it was important for him specifically to say that because like Kyle, like Coach K, they're on a very short list of coaches that are essentially the face of collegiate basketball. Yeah, 100%. They, Coach K specifically need to say something you know, he's been doing this for a long time. His success has been built off of his black basketball players. So everyone was expecting him to say something at some point. And, you know, he decided to take his time, collect his thoughts, and come out with a big statement video to just paint that picture. And I really like what he did with that. Moving on to more college basketball news, the Golden Eagles TBT's second winningest team wins their first ever title. After falling one win short of a championship last season, the Golden Eagles took the final step this time around and beat Sideline Cancer 78-73 on Tuesday in the finals of the, of the basketball tournament. The team takes home one million in the winner-take-all format. The Golden Eagles plan to split the money evenly with the head coach and every player getting 90000 and general manager Daniel Fitzgerald earning 80000 Last summer, Carmen's crew finished the title game on an 8-0 run to beat the Golden Eagles 66-60. Entering the tournament, the Golden Eagles, a team made up of former Marquette players, had the second most victories all time in TBT but zero championships to show for it. It means a lot to us, Coach Joe Chapman told ESPN. It was only one step. We knew what we needed to do. We wanted to get that monkey off our back and become a winner. It was our last step 
and something we needed to do as a team. Tuesday night's Elam ending started at 70-70, meaning the first team to reach 78 points would be crowned a champion. The Golden Eagles scored quickly on an inbounds play, followed by Marcus Keene continuing his hot late game shooting and burying a three for sideline cancer. Jameel Wilson hit another big three for the Golden Eagles. Then Travis Diener ended the game with a corner three to give his team the championship. What do you think of the Golden Eagles taking the TBT title? Uh, I feel like it was just due. I mean, I watched not every game, but I watched a lot of the games and uh, over this like whole tournament. I personally was rooting for overseas elite because Joe Johnson is my guy. Iso Joe, you know, walking bucket. But uh, I mean, Golden the Golden Eagles deserve to win. They have good chemistry. They're very tight knit. I think all the teams that made it, you know, to the final four were tight knit and it really just came down to execution towards the end. I think the difference between uh, Golden, the Golden Eagles and sideline cancer at the end of the game were that they had more guys that could do damage in late game situations than sideline cancer had. Sideline cancer really relied on Marcus King, AKA, Marcus Elam, you know, by uh, Seth Greenberg standards. And uh, it really just came down to, you know, executing, you know, plays down at the end of the stretch. And it was very noticeable at the final play that won the game when it was a scramble, which was a miscommunication that ended up with a wide open corner three for Travis Daner. And, you know, the heart and soul, AKA the Golden Eagles alumni squad, you know, sank game winner and brought them their first title yeah the tbt is always exciting you know the elon ending was a great idea whoever designed that you know the game almost every single time ends in a buzzer beater you know sometimes it's a buzzer beater where it's not really close but in this game it was a tight game and it was thrilling to the tail end I didn't watch most of the tournament, but I was able to catch most of the semis in the championship, and I was not underwhelmed by any bit. I was glad I took the time to watch it during my busy week. Moving on to college football, the Ivy League has announced that there will be no fall sports competition this year, but has not made any decisions yet on potentially moving football to the spring. Back on March 10th, the Ivy League presidents decided to cancel their men's and women's basketball tournaments because of the coronavirus pandemic. It was dismissed by many, including some of the league's players and coaches, as an overreaction made by a league with a different set of priorities. Within 48 hours, Utah Jazz star Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19. The NBA suspended its season and all NCAA sports were canceled. The main question now is this. Will their decision once again become the trend at the FBS level or will it be an outlier made by a league without the same structures and incentives as big time college football? I mean, even though the Ivy League is known for, you know, their smarts, their academics, quote unquote, they must be doing something to influence change and influence, you know, decision making on, you know, the big collegiate level far as, you know, big time athletics, because the same thing happened earlier with the coronavirus uh, in March, but you saw the Big Ten take a stand, you saw uh, the Pac-12 take a stand and had uh, started those conversations and decided that they want to do uh, pr- pretty much just only a conference schedule. It reminded me of what we talked about earlier, you know, months ago on the show about, you know, only the conference schedule. And I didn't fully understand why they were doing it. I didn't think about just the virus. I thought it was a just something that they were doing like in general, like a permanent thing, not a one-time offer as far as the decision-making. But I think that, I mean, it's smart in the sense far as health reasons, eliminates a lot of travel. But at the same time, it's like, how do you 
crown a champion. I don't think it's possible to crown a champion if they do this in basketball or if they do this in football, you know, however they finally come to a final decision. Because those smaller schools that don't get to face, you know, Kentucky in basketball or, you know, Michigan, Clemson, Alabama in football, you can't really tell who's better based off of that because they won't play those games. And then when the Clemsons play the Georgias in the non-conference, that doesn't help decide who's better when they uh, come down towards the end of the stretch of the season. So I don't know. I understand the point of it, but I really don't know if this is going to you know, help the final product. Yeah, so I mean, obviously for football, the Ivy League is FCS, so it's not going to affect the FBS in any way. And not really the FCS either, because most of these Ivy League teams don't come anywhere close to getting an FCS title. And you see North Dakota State winning the championship every single year, which is probably not going to change if there's a season this year. But going back to FBS... That was what I was going to move on to next. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 going conference only. So they announced on July 9th. And I have a lot of doubts about their plans with this. The Pac-12 announced it the day after the Big Ten. And one of the reasons the Pac-12 decided to push back the start of the football season was concerned that UCLA and USC would not be ready to play in early September because of the coronavirus cases in the Los Angeles area, which I believe probably came from all the young people in the beaches and the bars because they decided to reopen those, which was a bad idea from the jump. The Pac-12's decision to play only conference games means Notre Dame will not face USC for the first time since World War II, assuming that the season proceeds. The Irish and the Trojans have played each other every single season since 1926, except for 1943 through 1945 because of the war. Notre Dame will also lose its rivalry game against Stanford, which has been played every year since 1988, except for 1995 and 1996. Because of the Big Ten's decision, Notre Dame's contest against Wisconsin at Lambeau Field in Green Bay also won't be played. Fortunately for Notre Dame, the ACC is bailing them out, which they are a member in for every sport except for football. And for some reason, they want to be independent for football. So they're lucky that they'll be bailed out. Now, as for BYU and Hawaii, all they can do is hope that the Mountain West lets them in for the year. They will both have to find new opponents for each of their first four games. As it stands now, neither school has a game scheduled until the first weekend of October. That's just not going to fly unless they're going to be able to join the Mountain West for the year. BYU was scheduled to play Utah, Michigan State, Arizona State, and Minnesota for the first four weeks, and Stanford also in their regular season finale. And Hawaii was slated to play Arizona, UCLA, Fordham, which the Patriot League banned flying for the upcoming season, which makes sense because everyone in the Patriot League is within driving distance of each other. So that was no surprise. And then Hawaii also was slated to play against Oregon. So it's it's really going to be a big impact on a lot of these teams and I like you said I don't know how they're supposed to decipher a national champion when all they're doing is playing against their conference rivals the only way we're the only measure they're gonna have for who is good this year is they just gotta give teams the benefit of the doubt from last year I mean we all assume that Ohio State is good but who knows they could have gotten ran by 30 points by Oregon our thoughts on Ohio State would have changed. Very true. We think Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12. Sure, they could be... Sure, they could have been 
nine and three has still been the best team in the Pac-12. But in terms of competing for a national championship, we don't know how much their eleven and one record is going to mean versus what that eleven and one record would have meant with North Dakota State and Ohio State on their schedule. So there's there's a good amount of the Pac-12 already had a weak non-conference schedule, so we wouldn't have learned much about them. Like Cal, we wouldn't have learned much until conference play. ASU, we wouldn't have learned much about until conference play. ASU, all they had was BYU, New Mexico, and and, and Northern Arizona. Like those three games aren't going to tell me anything about them. But USC, unless they lose, yeah, yeah, which I highly doubt was going to happen. But and then US, you got USC, who you know they're in the Pac-12 South, which is not very competitive. It's probably going to be a two, maybe three team race in the Pac-12 South between USC and ASU, and then we'll see how Utah recovers from losing basically their entire offense from last year. After that, the Pac-12 South is just awful. So we're really not going to learn much about USC. They had some defining non-conference games, like the one against Notre Dame. And they also had two games that popped out to me, but I can't remember who the opponents were exactly. But a lot of people were expecting USC to lose at least two games non-conference. That's how tough of a schedule they had. So, you know, for bowl games and national championships, them playing Oregon State and a depleted Washington State instead of Notre Dame and let's just say for the sake of discussion that their other non-conference game was against Michigan. That could be the difference between them having a chance to be in the playoff and them playing in the Cheez-It Bowl. Oh. So it's the way I look at I think, it is they're going to lose money either way. At best, they should just play the games, uh, crown conference championships, and leave it at that. Because after that, unless they have some creative, innovative way that I don't know about, like make making these makeshift bowl games won't make any sense because you won't know how good one team is from another because – None of these teams like face one another. They only face the teams in their conference. At this point, if if that, if that's what they're gonna roll with, they might as well just say, you know what? Instead of ha- instead of looking at strength of schedule and all that stuff, the champion of every single FBS conference goes into a play-in tournament for the national championship. Now, obviously, you're gonna see the conference USA champion get obliterated by whoever they play. The Sun Belt champion get obliterated by who they play. But I mean hmm. that's the that's the only logical way to go about this. You know, all That'd the SEC people all this. the SEC people are gonna be mad because they can't have two teams competing for a championship. But hey, this is weird circumstances. We've never had a dilemma like this before. So adjustments are going to have to be made and there's no judging how good everyone is when they don't play teams from other conferences. So that would be the only logical way to do it if they want to have a competition for a national championship. I mean, that that makes sense. I didn't think about it like that, but that would be, you know, a cool idea and that would be the closest thing you could to objectively, you know, decide a chance. Moving on to some more college football news. Top-ranked and five-star cornerback Tony Grimes of North Carolina's class of 2021 commits to UNC and announced that he will be reclassifying and enrolling this fall at Chapel Hill. What do you make of Grimes' decision to commit to UNC as well as reclassify, and what does it mean for the near future of this rebuilding Tar Heels football program? Uh, I mean, I think that it'll help a lot, obviously. Uh, 
they have, you know, a decent quarterback and they already have, you know, really, really, really talented wide receivers. But if uh, they can add this type of, you know, caliber player to a defense that, you know, already has, you know, some of the best, you know, defensive linemen uh, and some of the best D linemen from this past class as well, I think it can really, you know, make them a great defense to an offense that you already know is going to, you know, put up a lot of points and should be, you know, one of the best offenses in the ACC. Like I said, with the talent that they had wide receiver, you got a cornerback with that type of talent, add that to, you know, a pass rush that's going to lock up. Should be straight. They're an up-and-coming program. You know, before Mac Brown came back to take over the program, they were a laughing stock. And in one year, they improved to, what was it, 7-5, and 8-4, and four, something like that. And they got a really promising young QB in Sam Howell. They got a couple of good recruiting classes coming in for 2020 and 2021. They are on the opposite side of the ACC of Clemson, and they could make the ACC a lot more interesting, finally, because who knows when Florida State's going to be back. Moving on to the NFL, Colin Kaepernick will be featured in an exclusive documentary produced by ESPN Films as part of a first-look deal with the Walt Disney Company. The deal between Kaepernick's production arm, Raw Vision Media, and Disney was announced on July 6th. The partnership will focus on telling scripted and unscripted stories that explore race, social injustice, and the quest for equity. It also will provide a platform to showcase the work of minority directors and producers. What do you think of the move by Disney? I think it's only right. In a way, I hope that it isn't a way to exploit, you know, Colin's uh, name and face for something like different. Because I think lately due to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, George Floyd's death, Breonna Taylor's death, uh, a bunch of other, you know, black people that have been murdered and marginalized during this time. I think people go from supporting, you know, black people to kind of like exploiting them for profit in a way. And I feel like it happens on all levels across the board. Not saying that they're doing this, but I hope that they're trying to make, you know, his story a big, a bigger deal and show bring more attention to what he's went through off the floor well not off the floor but off the field and use that to educate the masses about what's going on around us because some people still you know don't get it and the more people we reach the better chance we have at you know bringing more quality across the board so hopefully with when they do you know bring this out that it isn't just oh, this is what Colin did, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's good, but it's not, like, really impactful. Because if it doesn't have that type of impact the way I know Colin has as a person in general, then I feel like it's just, like, a money grab, a way to bring, you know, attention to ESPN Films, which I don't think anyone wants. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... Moving on to people that don't get it, President Donald Trump criticized the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians on Twitter for considering changes to their respective team names, accusing the teams of trying to be politically correct. Trump tweeted on July 6th that the NFL's Redskins and MLB's Indians are fabled sports franchises. He also taunted Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren who has claimed Native American ancestry and has been a frequent target of barbs from Trump. 
they named teams out of strength, not weakness. But now the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians, two fabled sports franchises, look like they are going to be changing their names in order to be politically correct. Indians, like Elizabeth Warren, must be very angry right now, Trump's tweet said. I mean... Oh, I'll let you start on that one. <laughs> I mean, that that is a lot, but I'm, I'm going to just say this. I have, have no reason to, you know, pull back on this statement. Trump is racist. He's very, very, very outwardly racist. I feel like there's a line to line of ignorance and insensitivity, and then there's just like, hey, look at me, I'm a racist. Now, he has crossed that line numerous times, so my conjecture is he's definitely racist because his tweets are always used to create division instead of unity, one. Two, whenever he's talking about something, it doesn't, he never addresses all the facts that are present. He addresses the facts that are prevalent to what he wants to address and what narrative he wants to push on the public. Now, with this situation, me, I'm from DC. We People have been talking about changing the name of the Redskins since pff, I was in middle school. And they got a lot of steam when I was in high school. It, it's ebbed and flowed like majority of my whole life. So I understand the the name i understand you know the the reason why it's you know a derogatory term we've talked about it in a class you did all types of stories on it you know all growing up through that system of understanding more about that from a culturally you no know, aspect but just think about it like this like there's not teams out there like oh look at the you know washington negroes or like people can't keep using these outdated ideas and keep thinking that, okay, it's supposed to stay that way because it's always been that way. Like the point of life and the point of growing and adapting, AKA social Darwinism, is that when things evolve, you evolve with it. Like just because the, if we want to use it in sports terms, it's because the NBA was a, you know, mid range, uh, take it to the paint type of game for, decades that doesn't mean that people shouldn't be shooting threes now like just because uh the nfl all they did was run the ball first that doesn't mean they should have passed the ball now so just because this name has been here for however it doesn't mean that they sh they shouldn't get rid of it like you have you know the indians with you know the chief wahoo logo that it took them forever to get rid of which i don't understand how a shiny red you know Indian figure as a logo wasn't, you know, a kind of an eye drawing. But you think about all the statues that people have been petitioning to get torn down in America. The country and was built on a lot of racial beliefs that are outdated. A lot of things that should have never been socially acceptable, but they're acceptable for whatever reason. So just because those ideas were you know established it doesn't mean that we should keep those ideas like it's not socially acceptable you know the call an indian a redskin or even think that's a good name to name a tame indians or whatever you could think of all these different you know seminoles i don't care what the name is we shouldn't be naming teams after groups of people ethnicities backgrounds that hasn't like it makes no sense like if you want to get rid of Blackhawks too, you can get rid of that too. I don't care if it's alienating or uh, causing friction for one group of people, then you should get rid of it. You should, you know, be sensitive and empathetic towards those people who it is offending, and just change the name. Like people are more worried about the dollars than being worried about, you know, people's well-being and people's you no know, just feelings like it's just human decency at this point and i think trump is a lot of times representing all of the negative things that people don't like about america and that other countries joke about as far as america 
Like, he's just flat out racist. Like, I don't know what else that we can show at this point. And whatever he says at this point, never surprised. Yeah, at this point, I'm not surprised by anything that this dude says. First and foremost, the whole idea that Native Americans are not offended by the Redskins and the Indians is complete bull. First and foremost, they prefer to be referred to as Native Americans. Indians are people from India. Native Americans are the natives of America. So let's not get that mixed up. Secondly, how do you think people would react if teams were named the black skins, the yellow skins? You see, black people and Asian people, Hispanics, they all have enough of a population for their voices to be heard. But Native Americans, hell, colonizers killed almost all of them off and then just cast them to Indian reservations. Who the hell is going to speak out about it? The people that they say are Native Americans not offended, grew up in white neighborhoods, probably barely realize that they're even Native American because they've been blended into American culture so much and are, have mostly white relatives. So why is their opinion valid? Why don't you go and take a news story into an Indian reservation in Phoenix, in Santa Fe, in Albuquerque, in any of those reservations in Texas, and see what they say. Because I guarantee you, they gonna have a lot more to say than these bull quote unquote Native Americans that you guys are interviewing to push the narrative of your story that you wanna push. So I'm, I'm tired of this being a debate. The name is going to change. Dan Snyder, he resisted the change so much, but once the money made sense for him to change the name, he did not hesitate. And I guarantee you, any person criticizing him for changing the name, he does not give a about. And a lot of things I've been seeing on like, you know, Instagram comment sections and stuff like that is liberals are are ruining sports. Okay. First of all, this is not a political issue. This is a human rights issue. This is a human decency issue. There is no liberal or conservative tie to this. That is also complete bull. Like, I don't understand why people want to make make all these statements talking about oh it's because the conservatives think that oh it's because the liberals think about that unless we talk about an actual political issue i ain't trying to hear it liberal and conservatives should never come into the sentence of redskins to the sentence of black lives matter to the sentence of coronavirus to the sentence of any human rights public health non-politic issue and that's everything that's wrong with this country you got a president dividing us for no reason and i'm tired of it but moving on in the name of health and safety nfl players could be wearing a sporting whole new look in 2020. the oakley mouse shield a product designed by oakley in collaboration with doctors and engineers from the NFL and NFLPA to mitigate the spread of coronavirus on the field of play is expected to be distributed to all 32 teams over the next week when it will receive a test drive on a much larger scale than it has gotten to date. Safety protocol negotiations are ongoing between the league and players. Currently, there is no mandate to wear a face shield, but the NFL's medical experts are advocating for the use of the protective equipment. That's certainly what we're going to encourage, said Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer. And we hope that we're going to land on a product design that's something that
that everyone would want to wear because they'll see the value and want to add additional protection without any detriment to performance. The Oakley Prison Lens technology used by skiers, military personnel, and most recently NFL players for enhanced color and contrast in their visors is featured in the new design. Plastic sheets extend down and attach to the face guard. There are airways and openings on the mouth shield, but none that allow the direct transmission of droplets, according to the chair of the NFL's engineering committee, Dr. Jeff Crandall. What do you think of this new technology idea for the NFL season to be played? Uh, I appreciate that they're being proactive and that they are, you know, taking this level, you know, of precaution. But at the same time, you already got to think about face, like helmets don't have that many openings in general to breathe. And they're playing one of, I would say, the three like sports in the world and that would be, you know, hockey, football, and basketball, that have an immense amount of contact. Especially basketball and football have an immense amount of contact. Oh, don't forget so we about just lacrosse, saw, too. Oh, I forgot about lacrosse. I was just thinking on the professional level. Yeah. But uh, if, if you look at it like that, right? So I just saw whole TBT. They had amazing, amazing, you know, set up far as keeping people safe. Uh, protocols and whatnot and the amount of people that got s s sick was infinitesimal like it was very 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 finite very small so if the NFL has to do all of this just for them to play they might not need to play because I mean obviously I will never like openly openly uh like tell you know a league not to play because I understand the money involved, I understand collective bargaining agreements, et cetera, et cetera. But I think in a way with them trying to help and prevent people getting sick, that they possibly could be setting up a situation where guys are like, yeah, I don't want to use that. You think about all the different times that they're going to contact each other. So if they're taking all these corona tests, et cetera, and they're negative, when they get on the field, how in the world are they going to get coronavirus on the field if they're testing and doing all these other things like they should? So I don't yeah. know. That's my only thing. Exactly. As long as they keep the players that have coronavirus off the field, I mean, that's just kind of unnecessary. I appreciate that they're doing, you know, the extra protocols to try to keep the players safe. But at the end of the day, Testing is going to be key and quarantining, quarantining those players that test positive is also going to be key. And to be honest, I don't know how they're going to keep control of this virus if they don't do a similar bubble situation that the NBA is doing. So that's going to be very interesting because they're dealing with five times as many players as the NBA is and they have to play a full season, not just eight games of playoffs. So it's going to be interesting. But moving on to NFL contracts, the Chiefs and Super Bowl MVP quarterback Patrick Mahomes have reached an agreement on a 10-year extension that ties him to KC through the 2031 season, the team announced on July 6th. League sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter that the deal is worth $450 million over the 10-year period and could be worth up to $503 million after incentives. The extension includes a $140 million injury guarantee as well as a no-trade clause. What do you think of Mahomes' record-breaking contract, not just an NFL record-breaking, but in all the sports? Every, 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 every football player that has a football contract should be thanking 
Patrick Mahomes right now because I thought I would never in my life see a football player making more money than a hockey player and then a baseball player and a basketball player, mainly basketball and football. He making more money than Floyd has made off of his Showtime deals that Canelo is making off of his deal with Golden Boy. That is mind boggling. And the level of protection that he has in the deal is crazy too, when you think about it. And I think he has a couple opt outs in the situation too for his contract. I I love it. I mean, I'm all about these guys getting paid in the words of Jalen Rose, you know, you're worth what people are willing to pay you. So I think he's worth all of that and then some. He's had two historic seasons already as a starter. Uh, he is one of the most electrifying talents I've ever seen play football. The way that he does certain things, they're just, I couldn't fathom them. Like him throwing the ball across his body without looking and touchdown, stuff like that. Or I could just go on and on about his physical gifts, but I just think, you know, it's amazing. I think it would help other quarterbacks in the future and in the word and the ways of like Mike Trout getting his deal, it will set, you know, a level that I don't think anyone will pass for a really, really long time. I think it's Mike Trout, you know, A-Rod level that it will take probably another decade before someone surpasses that, you know, amount of money just because of what he's done already and what, what they think he'll do. Like, I think Lamar will get to that, like, Bryce, uh, at Bryce Manny Machado level, like, type of money. But I don't think he'll get to the, the trout, like, Patrick Mahomes type of level because to get a deal that long and get that much money off the deal and for the team not to be worried about the cap hit, all the other moving parts on a 50-something man roster of a football team, just incredible. Definitely is going to change the game forever for, you know, professional athletes and especially football athletes who really, really, really need to breathe. Like in the words of Rihanna, throw it up, throw it up, throw it up, throw it up, throw it up. Yeah, all I got to say is look at Patty, man. So inspirational. <laughs> this he man was fine, really. Too. This man really set a trend for the league in the future. I never, I never thought I'd see this day until I was in my mid thirties, and I'm seeing it in 2020. I thought it was a lie when I read, read the headline, and then I read all the details. I was like, "You have got to be kidding me!" I didn't even know ten-year contracts were allowed in Madden franchise mode. They don't let you go longer than six or seven. But you know what? Get your money, Patty. That's all I got to say. Move on to another contract. The Cleveland Browns are finalizing a massive five-year extension worth $125 million to star pass rusher Miles Garrett, a league source confirmed to ESPN. The deal is not done yet, but the sides are said to be close. The deal, which is worth a total of $144 million over seven years, would make Garrett the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. Garrett entered the offseason with two years left on his rookie contract after the Browns picked up his fifth-year option. What are we thinking? Man, the class of 2017 is getting that money. Money, 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 money. Uh, I think Miles Garrett is worth it. He's an amazing talent literal physical specimen uh who else I th- i'm pretty sure derrick henry is no not derrick henry is derrick henry in the 2017 class or is he not nah, i He's know 2018 uh, 2018 all right i know uh, christian mccaffrey got a big deal so you got three guys all in the 2017 class mccaffrey uh garrett and patty that will be top five at their position for getting paid if not the best in, you know, McCaffrey and uh, 
you know, Patty's situation, and I think that he's he's worth all that in this one. And considering the type of team that the Browns got, they need to sure up someone that they know that is very reliable and that's going to get the job done. Because that rest of that team, they got all name and no sizzle and no production right now. So they got to get it together. Yeah, you know, as long as Miles Garrett doesn't try to case someone's skull in again, I think he'll be worth every penny of that contract. I just really hope that man has learned his lesson because I, I, I don't know how Mason Rudolph didn't end up in the hospital. But, you know, we'll see how he plays after his, uh, coming back from his suspension this season. And he'll, sh- he'll probably show us he's worth the money. Moving on to other headlines. Once again, President Donald Trump called out driver Bubba Wallace on Monday, alleging that a noose found last month in his garage at Talladega Super Speedway was a hoax and questioning NASCAR's decision to ban the Confederate flag from the sport. Trump tweeted, has Bubba Wallace apologized to all of these great NASCAR drivers and officials who came to his aid, stood by his side, and were willing to sacrifice everything for him, only to find out that the whole thing was just another hoax? That that and flag decision has caused the lowest ratings ever. Wallace responded with a statement Monday afternoon in which he wrote, love over hate every day. Love should come naturally as people are taught to hate even when it's hate from the POTUS. So to be late to the party is one thing, and to be wrong on the factual information is another, Wallace said, referring to the fact that the incident happened two weeks earlier. But all in all, he did get one thing right in his tweet, though. The great officials that continue to stand behind me, NASCAR drivers and officials that continue to stand behind me through it all. He got that part right. We have a great sport that I'm proud to be a part of. Let me mention the fact that NASCAR's ratings have actually gone up according to Fox Sports. But moving on to NASCAR's statements, they said they are proud to have Bubba Wallace in the NASCAR family and we commend his courage and leadership. NASCAR continues to stand tall with Bubba, our competitors, and everyone who makes our sport welcoming and inclusive for all racing fans. What do you make of Trump's ridiculous comments? I don't know. Uh, sometimes I just wish that he wasn't allowed to talk. Like, you know how when you, when a little kid does something bad that he would, like, they just go to timeout? I just wish he had, like, timeout affinity. Cause like it's annoying, but just the you know second what Wallace said, he only has power as a result of you know his you know very 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 favorable white privilege, and the un I don't know why people voted for him, but the whoever that voted him in the office, but can't focus on him. He's just there. He's always going to be there, even though we don't want him there. And you have to focus on uh, the bigger picture. And like he said, you got to spread love, not hate. Can't trip off the Trumps or whoever wants to be a bigot and spread negativity and uh, nonsense. You just got to focus on, you know, helping people that don't understand, get it. And the people that do understand, keep letting them know that, I appreciate, you know, your understanding and that you get the situation and that we're going to get through this together because step-by-step is the only way we're going to, you know, get more equality. More people be more comfortable talking about the stuff that's uncomfortable. I'm just tired of seeing his name in sports headlines. Sports is about, it's supposed to be about enjoying the sport and supporting the athletes that play the sport and watching them succeed. Nowhere in sports should we be hearing about the president of the United States who should have zero interest in sports or speaking on sports, criticizing these guys. During the Obama administration, the only sports-related things we'd see coming from them is Obama making a March Madness bracket. 
That's how it should be. I'm I'm tired of him chiming in on all these things that athletes have done right. And just because the FBI said there's no evidence of a hate crime does not make the entire thing a hoax. Like, are you kidding me? So you're telling me you you saw the picture of the rope shaped like a noose. And just because the FBI said there's no evidence of a hate crime, this whole thing's made up. I don't know. I don't it believe that they, they waited for months and just didn't pick up whatever was lying on the ground. Like, okay, if it was there, that's cool. But you're telling me for months, for months, no one once came in and was like, oh, let me pick this thing up. Why, why is this on the ground? Like, I'm not trying to hear that. It is what it is. And, and you know they checked the garages before the racers arrived to the track. You're telling me you're passing by Bubba Wallace's garage and you're not thinking oh that rope's shaped like a noose we're in the middle of a black lives matter movement maybe i should take this rope out of here so this doesn't become a big headline and bubble walls doesn't feel threatened it's no coincidence that a rope shaped like a noose was in the only black nascar driver's garage That is all we have for this week's episode of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. And thank you all for listening today. The next episode is being released on Friday, July 24th by 11.59 p.m. Follow the Let's Talk About Sports podcast social media accounts by clicking the Instagram and Twitter icons above to find out when the next episode is released and to find the link as well as engage in some cool sports-related content that we post to our pages. You can also subscribe to see receive automatic email updates for the Let's Talk About Sports blog and put in content requests or requests to be featured in future episodes by going to the contact tab at the top of this page.